Good morning. That is really impressive. So um, I would love to say it again. Good morning. Thank you. I'm Clay McConnell, and this is my first time up here. And so it is pretty intimidating as well as impressive. Um, several of you I know. Some of you I don't. I'm looking. Um, they, they have screens all over the front, and I don't yet see uh, our fellowship center. And so I'm looking to see our other fellowship center, and I can see our online community back there. Uh, there's the fellowship center. Thank you very much. Um, I can't hear you. Can you say it a little louder? Say good morning. Oh, I could see him yelling. I wish y'all could see him. Uh, it's incredible. And so it is really good to be here this morning. Um, I want you to know this place um, is incredible for me because White's Ferry Road helped rebuild my life. And they did it. Um, it was back in 2015. I was going through a really tough time and a buddy of mine invited me to come to church here. And so I came and I sat right back there. And I sat back there and I sat there for months, um, kind of by myself until that buddy of mine who used to sit over here kind of came and sat over there with me one Sunday. And that one Sunday that he sat with me, it was like he, I, I was ushered into, okay, this guy is not just crazy. Uh, and he, he was able to allow me to sit with him. And y'all have just loved on me ever since then. And so I just really want to say thank you for allowing me to be here with you this morning. But I must confess, before we get into the scripture and before we, we, we get into the sermon this morning, I have to get right with the online community. You see, I get to host with the online community. Mike and Al switched it out today. They wanted to do some hosting, so they went in there and they were hosting and they talked about the church and what, what it looks like for the church of the future, kind of. Because we didn't have, we had an online community, but man, it wasn't what it is today. And what's crazy is I see Kim Stover here and I see other people here who've moved here in the past few months because of the online community. And I made a promise to them like a few weeks ago, maybe even a few months ago now, I promised you I'd tell you the story of the catcher fish. And so I need to tell them the story of the catcher fish. You see, Al was preaching a few months ago or weeks ago, and he was talking about the catcher fish in John. And, and I told him, hey, I'll tell you this, the uh, Paul Harvey version of me and my life with the catcher fish. But what happened was the sermon was so good that somebody wanted to get baptized. And so who am I to get in the way telling a story about a catcher fish? That's the reason we tell stories, right? Is so that God can respond and people can be baptized. And so I was like, hey, look, we'll tell you the story of the catcher fish next week. Well, next week went to next week and next week went to next week. So let me tell you just a real quick story about a catcher fish in my life. I, um, a lot of y'all don't know this, but I used to be a youth minister. And while I was in college, I was actually a youth minister here in West Monroe. Uh, and I was like that back in 1995 for about a year and a half while I was in college. Then I went off to school. And after going off to school, I came back and I was an associate pastor slash youth minister over in Shreveport at a really neat church. And I was there for about three or four years. And if any of you have ever done youth ministry, I would consider three or four years a very long time. Uh, it felt like an eternity. And so after, uh, after that time, I knew it was time for the next phase, but I didn't know what the next phase was. And so I was like, what am I going to do? And I work now in a third generation family business. And my dad was like, son, I don't think it's your time yet. And I was like, well, how can it not be my time? I don't know what I want to do. And he was like, that's precisely why. I'm not interested in an employee who's not sure what he wants to do, so he wants to come to work here. I want to know that you're called to do what you're doing. 
And so I was, I just didn't know what to do. And my uncle, who was my dad's business partner, he's six foot seven, Uncle Pat. And so Uncle Pat looked at me and he said, hey, Clay, let's go on a fishing trip. Now, you need to know this about me. I loathe fishing. (laughs) The only person in the world that could say to me, let's go on a fishing trip would be Uncle Pat. Because whenever I was seven years old, he, uh, he invited me on my very first ever fishing trip. And so I love to go fishing with my uncle. And I, I, I can't do it now today because he's passed from this world to the next. But uh, I would catch sun in the boat with him any time. Uh, but catching fish is probably a little different story. And so Al was talking about the catch of fish and everything else. And I was sitting here going, guys, I have a catch of fish story I need to tell you. So we left Shreveport and we went to Dulac. And if you're from Louisiana, you know that if you leave Shreveport and you drive to Dulac, you literally drive to the end of the road. You can't go any further. Dulac is the end of earth. After that, you go ocean. And so we drove down. It took us about five hours to get there. And when we got there, he, uh, we're getting our, our bags and we're putting them on the boat. And he goes, oh, Clay, I forgot to tell you this. He said, all of your troubles and worries, they stay on the land. So when you step into the boat, that's where we don't talk about that anymore. He goes, we're going fishing. And when we come back, we can talk about it on the ride home. But once we get in the boat, no more talk. And so we stepped into the boat and he tricked me because we stayed out in the marsh on a houseboat. So I had like three days without talking about problems, Uh, you know. And so and you don't have cell service out there. And this is long before they had these Internet things. And so I'm out there for three days on this fishing trip. And let me tell you, the first day we went out and we caught fish until your hands hurt. And the second day we went out and we caught fish. And with redfish and speckled trout and stuff, you can only catch so many, so we're culling fish. And I had brought a video camera. Back then, your phone didn't have a video camera, so I actually brought a video camera. And I remember filming this fishing trip with my uncle. And the fishing was so good. My uncle looked into the camera and he said, I'm going to catch a fish on this cast. And he threw, and man, he was like a semi-pro. He could throw to the back of the church, right? So he threw 100 yards, and boom, sure enough, he caught a fish on that cast. And not, not, not to prove himself wrong, he said, I'll do it again, and again, and again. And he looked in the camera like five straight times and said, I'm going to catch a fish on this cast, and he did. That's how good the fishing was, okay? And so then he looked at me, and he said, Clay, why don't you do it? Now, I've already caught so many fish. I'm tired of fishing. I'm running a video camera. I've already told you I really don't like fishing. And here's why. So he takes the video camera. I look right into the camera and I said, I'm going to catch a fish on this cast. And I, I go and <laughs> backlash central, you know, the lure falls right there. And so I'm, I'm doing this and I'm trying to get the next five minutes. I'm trying to get the rod and reel back where I can go fish. And so, you know, he cuts the camera off while I'm still trying to fix the, the rod and reel. Finally, I get it fixed and I look in the camera again and I said, I'm going to catch a fish on this cast. And I cast and it maybe goes to the front pew, you know, like 10 yards. And so I'm reeling it back in. And as I'm reeling it back in, sure enough, I caught a fish. But y'all, the fishing was that good. And so we got back in the car and we went back to Shreveport and I didn't think much about it. And um, I got a phone call from a, a place down at University of Louisiana in Lafayette at ULL. And they said, hey, we're looking for a college minister. And so I ended up, I went down and I was a college minister in Lafayette for a few years, three or four And while you're down there as a college minister, a lot of times it's not like a church this big where people volunteer to preach. 
a lot of times you have small churches, and man, the only way the preacher can go on vacation is if somebody comes and preaches for him. So I'd get all kinds of phone calls, hey, would you come preach for me on Sunday? And so I'd go and I'd preach for them on Sunday so they could have a, a much-needed vacation, right? Uh, and so one Sunday I was doing that, and somebody said, hey, would you come preach for me? I said, I'd be happy to. And they said, uh, I said, what are you preaching on? Are you in a sermon series? You know, I'll, I'll try to do that. And they said, we are. It's, it's in John, and it's to catch a fish. And so I opened my Bible up, as you would, and I start reading about it. And as I'm reading the story of the catch of fish, the Holy Spirit just overwhelms me and I just begin to weep. Because I realized that I was in that place where I didn't know what tomorrow was going to look like. And in that moment, God literally put me in the boat and I had that same catch of fish. And for me, it was overwhelming. And I wept and I wept and I went and I preached and I preached and I loved it, right? Because I got to experience what those disciples must have experienced. I got to experience Jesus just saying simple words, follow me. And so I've been trying to do that, but I want you to know, in just a second, I'm going to have this beautiful girl come up here. Her name is Ruth Ann, and Ruth Ann is my bonus daughter. You see, we don't have stepdaughters or stepsons in my family. But I now live a blended world. I live a blended life, which means what I thought was going to look like life, it turned out a little different than what I thought. But I want you to know this church has helped rebuild me into a man. I was talking to Chad Johnson this morning, and I said, Chad, you remember meeting me. I could never have stood up here five years ago because I was broken. So I would just say to you, thank you for rebuilding me and allowing me, a sinner, washed by the blood of Christ, to come back up here and to share a little bit about what God's doing, both in my life and in the life of this church. So my daughter, Ruth Ann, is going to come and read Acts. Come on, baby. She's going to come read Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 35. And I want you to know, I remember Ruth Ann when she could not read, okay? And so um, I remember Abby when she could not read. And so these are some really big words. And I told her if she needs any help with these words, she can just ask her papa and we will get it. So are you ready? Can you read for us? All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions, possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power to apostles continue to testify to the you got it. What do you think? With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection. Of the Lord Jesus and much grace was upon them all. There was no needy persons among them. For from the time to those who owned lands or houses, sold and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed Distributed to anyone, anyone has, as he had need. Thank you. Thanks, baby. You know, um, privilege of my life, um, we don't think about this, but Jesus had a bonus dad. He called him Joseph. Everybody here knows that that wasn't his, his real father. That was his earthly father. 
And so I am privileged to be able to uh, get to love on those, those girls and watch them grow up. And uh, it is absolutely a privilege because they have helped love me and, and bring me back to the person I am right now as well. And so it is fun to hear her read in front of y'all. Uh, and the story of Acts chapter 4, verse 32 through 35 is what she just read. And so if you have your Bibles, open them up, because we're, we're going to be in Acts 4, 32 through 35, plus we're going to go on through 37, and then we're going to go to Acts 5, 1 through 10. I'm not sure if there's another place in the New Testament where people drop dead. Right? Can you all think of another place in the New Testament where people, they just drop dead from the Holy Spirit? I can't think of it. Like we can think of the Old Testament, you know, and you think of maybe a God of wrath in the Old Testament, but you don't necessarily think of that in the New Testament. And so I would love to read again Acts 4, 32 through 510. And when we read this together, I want you to pay attention to some things. I want you to pay attention to the apostles' feet. Okay? I want you to pay attention to who Barnabas, who was giving money, Ananias, Sapphira, and why were they giving money? And I want you to pay attention to one incredible word. It comes at the very end of Acts 5 in verse 10. It's going to be church. And when you get to it, if you can, underline it, circle it, underline it, circle it, underline it. Big, big, big word here. Church. Okay? You ready? So, Acts 4, 32. Now, the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions. But everything they owned was held in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds from the sale. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. There was a Levite, a native of Cyprus, Joseph, to whom the apostles gave the name Barnabas which means son of encouragement, he sold a field that belonged to him, then brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias, with the consent of his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property. With his wife's knowledge, he kept back some of the proceeds and brought only a part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias, Peter asked, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, were not the proceeds at your disposal? How is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You did not lie to us, but to God. Now when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard it. The young men came and wrapped up his body and then carried him out and buried him. And after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in. Not knowing what had happened, Peter said to her, Tell me whether you and your husband sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, Yes, that's the price. Then Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? Look, the feet of those who are buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and died. When the young men came in, they found her dead, so they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear seized the whole church and all who heard of these things. Would you pray with me? God, we come before you right now, and we are hearing your words. 
And we don't question that they are your words, but Lord, make them our words. Make them my words. Lord, open my mouth and let me speak your words. Open our hearts and open our ears so that whenever you speak, we can listen. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. I, I, I have to tell you, I was really excited when Mike and Al asked, hey, do you want to share a little bit about Acts? Because, see, Acts is one of my favorite books in the Bible. Luke and Acts, the same guy wrote both books. And so one, like Luke is the story of Jesus, and Acts is the story of kind of the Holy Spirit. So you're really introduced to Jesus and Luke and then to the Holy Spirit in Acts. And so we started talking, and Mike and Al, they were awesome. They opened up their office, and they let, us, they let me start brainstorming what, what we could share. And so I found out that I was going to get to share about Acts chapter 5. I want you to know, it's tough. Because I've struggled with Acts chapter 5 for like 20 years. You know, how do you preach? I mean, Jeremy was up here, remember? Just a few minutes ago, Jeremy was here uh, over there in the Fellowship Center. Jeremy did our, our communion for us this morning. And he was talking about how we don't have to live a life of fear anymore. And yet here, the very Acts chapter 5, the church, they were in fear because you had two people drop dead. And I'm sitting here going, man, that's scary for me too, because if I'm going to stand up in front of this group, I don't want to be lying to the Holy Spirit. How, how, how do I make sure that I'm not like them? And so I think what we have to do is we have to compare and contrast Barnabas and Ananias and Sapphira. What made Barnabas, his gift, legitimate? And what made their gift so illegitimate, such a lie, that the Holy Spirit struck them dead immediately. And so as I began to unpack this and I I was looking at it, I was like, okay, God, what are we going to do? And I I really am thankful to Mike, because if you remember Mike's sermon last week, Mike's sermon was about how Peter and John got arrested. And if you recall, they got arrested because the sermon the week before that from Al was about that miracle at a gate called Beautiful. And so you had this miracle happen, and whenever these miracles are happening, there's no question that God's Spirit is on the move. And so you have Peter and John sharing this miracle and preaching this miracle, and you have all these people responding to the miracle, and they're arrested. And over in Acts 4.19, they're arrested and they're, 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 they're let go. And they say to Peter and John, we'll let you go if you'll keep your mouth shut. Right? We'll let you go if you keep your mouth shut. And this is what it says in Acts 4.19. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in God's sight to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot keep from speaking about what we have seen and heard. And that is good stuff. And so Peter and John are like, hey, we're going to keep on preaching. We're going to keep on sharing the good news. And when they share the good news, they get out of jail and they go immediately back to the assembly and they pray. And when they pray together, what then happens? The Holy Spirit comes and the place starts shaking. And as the place is shaking, that's when the crescendo comes to all the believers were of what? One heart and one mind. And so I really need to jump ahead over to Acts 5.10. Remember I told you to what circle? What word was that? Circle it, underline it. Do you know that Luke is a brilliant writer? Luke wrote more words in the New Testament than any other author. 
And you might be sitting there thinking, no, Clay, Paul wrote more than Luke did. This is what I'm going to tell you. Paul wrote more books. He wrote more letters. But if you were to go, and I wouldn't recommend it, but you can do it. If you were to go and count every word in the Greek New Testament, Luke wrote more words than any of the other authors. And not only that, he uses more words, unique words, that no one else uses. He's very educated. And the first time that he uses the words ecclesia, all right, big, big fancy word for church in Greek, the first time he uses that word church is in Acts 5, verse 10. Up till then, it's just been followers of the way or, or, or those kind of words. And so what we're having in, in what I've come to learn is what, what we really are seeing is that the Holy Spirit is wanting to protect God's true church. How about that? That's what I want to be part of. Okay? So if, if what does God's true church look like? Again, it looks like the whole group of those who believed were of one heart, one soul, one mind, and there was what? No needy among them. Why wasn't there any needy among them? Because people would sell their possessions and they would bring it and lay it at the apostles' feet. All right, so why did Barnabas sell what he had and, and it be acceptable? Here's a question I have. How does it describe Barnabas? It's like three words. Does anybody remember the first word? He was a Levite. Somebody yelled Cyprus. That's right. Cyprus. You know what Cyprus means? It means he wasn't from Jerusalem. So they're in Jerusalem. So he was maybe a Levite on a pilgrimage. Do you all remember what the Levites do? See, you have to... This whole thing is incredible because the Old Testament is like their Bible, right? They didn't have the New Testament. They were, they were living the New Testament. And so Joseph was a Levite, and the Levites were the priestly, the priestly nation. And so in Israel, you had 12 tribes, and they, 12 sons, and so the Levites were the priests. And did you know that Levites were not allowed to own land? But don't take my word for it. If you have your Bibles, let's, let's jump over to Numbers. Numbers 18, verse 20. Then the Lord said to Aaron, You shall have no allotment in their land, nor shall you have any share among them. I am your share and your possession among the Israelites. To the Levites I have given every tithe in Israel for a possession in return for their service that they perform, the service in the tent of meeting. From now on, the Israelites shall no longer approach the tent of meeting, or else they will incur guilt and die. But the Levites shall perform the service of the tent of meeting, and they shall bear responsibility for their own offenses. It shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations, but among the Israelites they shall have no allotment. Because I have given to the Levites as their portion the tithe of the Israelites, which they set apart as an offering to the Lord. Therefore, I have said to them that they shall have no allotment among the Israelites. So it's really interesting. You have a, a Levite from out of town. He might have been in Jerusalem doing his actual priestly duties. And he heard the message of Jesus. And he heard the message of Jesus, and what did he do in response? He was convicted by the message. He said, I should not own this field. It's not mine to begin with. 
And so he goes out and he sells the field and he brings it and lays it at the apostles' feet. It's almost like it's this huge act of repentance. And so that we don't make a mistake, look at, look at how Luke says it in, in verse 37, 437. I love how he says this because it's like he really wants us to drive home and make sure we understand this. He sold a field that belonged to him. <laughs> You're going to go sell my field? You know, how do you sell a field that belongs to somebody else? I wish I could say I don't know, but I do know how that happens. Um, you see, I, I don't know about you, but I'm in the third generation family business, which means I had a grandfather who started out with life with nothing. I mean, he started with nothing and he and his, my grandmother, they worked hard and they worked hard. And not only did they work hard because you can work hard and still not receive the blessings that he received, but God chose to bless him. And in, in the blessing that he, he received, um, he was able to buy a farm and then God, he worked hard and, and they were able to buy the farm next to him as well. Okay, so they have a couple farms, and they live over in Ravel, right over there, and, um, and they have these farms, and my grandfather lives a good, solid life, and at 87 years goes from this life to the next. And then my grandmother lives about five or six more years, and she goes from this life to the next, and, and in the planning process, my grandparents gave the farm to all of us grandchildren, and there's eight of us grandchildren, and so we have this farm. And so there's a realtor over there in Ravel. I'll leave his last name out, but his first name is Brad. I hope you're watching. So Brad calls me and says, Clay, uh, are y'all interested in selling the farm? And I said, no way. We're not interested in selling the farm. I mean, it's my grandparents' farm. Thank you very much, but no. So about six months later, Brad comes back and Brad brings an offer. And he says, Clay, would, would you sell for this price? And I said, no way, Brad. It would have to be like double that price for me to even consider it and take it to the family. You know, like, so another six months goes by. What does Brad do? Brad gets another offer, and he comes and he, he says, Clay, would you sell it for this price? And I said, Brad, I can't believe you got that price. That's the price I told you I'd take it to the family. But I want you to know that my vote is no, we're not selling the farm. Guess how many votes I had? One. Guess how many votes there were? Eight. So guess what happened? They sold my field. That's how it happened. That really happened to me. Somebody sold my field. But having said that, I now know how you can sell someone else's field. But that's not what happened here. What happened here was Barnabas heard the message of Jesus, sold the field, and brought all of the proceeds and laid it at the apostles' feet. Man, could you imagine the peer pressure? I mean, could you imagine being a part of a group that's, man, there's no needy because everybody's just taking care of each other? And look, I don't want to jump ahead, okay? But y'all need to know this. Barnabas is going to be really cool and really instrumental in, like, the, the later chapters of Acts. So Mike and Al are really going to get to talk about this guy. And Luke, remember I told y'all Luke's really smart? And so Luke's introducing a character that's going to be really important in this narrative. And so we're getting to learn about Barnabas and who he is from like a few simple things. All right? So be remembering 
and remember this. I'm just going to tell you. I'm going to give it away. In Acts 11, you have a lot of needy people. Because it's like everybody sold all their land and the money's gone. Okay? So there's going to be some concern in the future. But for right now, there's no concern. This is the true church. So then you have this other person enter. And it says, but a man named Ananias, with the consent of his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property with his wife's full knowledge. What does y'all say right there? Mine says he kept back some. He kept back part. So I want you to know that word right there is extremely important too. We're going to get to that word in a little bit, but don't forget that word, okay? Because there's this, remember I told y'all the Old Testament, we call it the Old Testament, but they would have called it the Bible. That was their version of the Bible. It was written in Hebrew, but back then, um, by this time, um, they would have been translated into Greek, and the Greek version is called the Septuagint. And so Luke probably had access to the Septuagint while he was writing this, and he uses the same word that's used somewhere else. And so we're going to get to that in a bit, but it's real interesting. I, I don't want to overlook it right now. So his, with his wife's full knowledge, he get back some of the proceeds and brought only a part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias, Peter asked, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Do y'all remember like Genesis 2 and 3? There was a story of another couple, Adam and Eve. And it's like this other couple. And what, what was the consequence of the sin? They would surely die. But they didn't die immediately, but they truly died because it entered, death entered our world then. And so I just, I, I come before you and I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm sitting here going, death, death is whenever we don't do what we're supposed to do. When you know that you're not supposed to either, whatever it is, enter it into your, for your own life. When you know you're not supposed to do it and you choose to do it. That's when a part of you, it's when a part of me dies. And Peter asked, why has Satan filled your heart and the Holy Spirit? Why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? Hmm. I, um, and kept back a portion uh, that Ruth Ann girl that came up here, I have to tell you the story about her. July 25th was her birthday, and she got $20 for her birthday. And so we're walking out of the house, and we're going to uh, church here. And she grabs her $20. And she says, Papa, that's what she calls me. She says, Papa, I want to give this $20 to the public. And I said to her, baby, how much money did you get for your birthday? She goes, $20. And I said, who do you want to give it to? She goes, I want to give it to the public. And I said, baby, you can't give it to the public. I, I, I don't mind you giving it to whoever, you know, to the church, but I need to understand why you're giving it. She goes, but I want to give it to the public. And I'm, I said, darling, I just don't understand what you mean, but I want to give it to the public. And, and so I, I asked Rhonda, I said, Rhonda, can you help me understand what she's saying? She's like, and she told her mom the same thing. I want to give it to the public. And so I tell her, I said, baby, please don't give that money away till I understand it, till you can explain it to me. Yes, sir. 
I want you to know we get back in the car to go back home that day. And she was so proud of herself. She said, Papa, I gave that money to the public. (sighs) And, you know, and I'm sitting here going, I guess we did not understand. And Rhonda looks at me and is like, it'll be okay. And so I said, okay. And I, I said, well, can you tell me now? And she goes, yeah. She said, and if you come and you look in our microwave, we have this, you know, at Christmas time you can get people to pray for and stuff. And on our microwave we have a, a magnet and we have this ministry that this church supports in the Dominican Republic. This children's ministry. And so she took all of her money and she gave it to the public. And here I am, kind of like Ananias and Sapphira, right? Tell them, don't give that money. That's not what I meant. It's not what I meant. But boy, isn't it fun what a little child will do? They will humble you quickly. She knew what she wanted even though she couldn't say it. I think that's the honesty that Barnabas had versus the dishonesty. I think Ananias and Sapphira, they were conspiring together because they wanted to do it for show. They wanted all the rewards of the church thinking that they were given without all of the actually having to give. God is not interested in what you do for show. God is not interested in what I do for show. God wants this. And he had that with Ruthann. I'm just glad I got out of the way of it, right? One of the things I love about our church, you see, um, Mike Kellett, I can remember the first Sunday I was here, I was sitting, again, right over there, and um, Mike was preaching, and I can't remember the exact text he was preaching on, but I can remember what he said. He said, you know, we have a lot of people who come to our church and they need money. And they'll come to the office and they'll ask for money. And um, he goes, what we do here at our church is one of the first questions we ask them is we say, have you gone to your family and have you asked your family for money? Because if they haven't gone to their family and asked their family for money, that means that there's a disconnect and that, that reconciliation needs to happen. And so we try to work with people and we try to get them back in touch with their families. And we try to work with them so that they will, they will turn back to their families. And that's, that's how we take care of the needs because we can only take care of needs for a short while and i remember mike saying that and i'm looking at this message in this passage and i'm I'm looking at how there was no needy among them and i'm looking at ananias and sapphira and and let me tell you this just as a quick side note and i'll come back to the mike kellett deal but when the young men carried this guy out because he was he, he he died because he was holding back a portion look at what it says right next to that it says after an interval of about three hours his wife came in not knowing what had happened Do you know why his wife came in three hours later and didn't know what had happened? It's real simple if you don't know. She didn't have fine friends. Because if she would have had fine friends, she would have known that he was in the middle of the field. And she wouldn't have come back in wondering where he was. Um, But so, um, so, by the way, have you ever done that? Have you ever checked on somebody with fine friends and found out they weren't where they said they were? I have a, a, I have a lot of beautiful daughters. I have a 19-year-old daughter, and she was 16 at the time, and she has these curly hair like this, and she um, wanted to get her hair done at 7 o'clock at night. How many people do you know run a hair shop that's open at 7 o'clock at night? 
And so I was already concerned. And so she's like, Dad, I promise you, it's hard to get into this woman. She does this. She likes her hair straight. And she has curly hair like her daddy. And so she wanted to go get it straightened. And so I was like, Alex. And she goes, Dad, come on, please. Well, if you knew this child, she literally... She has had straight A's since the time she was born. When she was three years old, she was giving herself homework because she loves homework and stuff. And so I look at my daughter who's 16 years old and has straight A's, and I said, if you want to go get your hair done at 7, go get your hair done at 7. But what ended up happening is um, she said she should be home about 8.30, and so, you know, at 8, I'm, you know, starting to think, you know, so I text her, hey, is everything going okay? You know, I don't hear anything from her. At 8.30, when she's not home, I call. I said, hey, you know, is everything okay? But she doesn't answer. And so at 8.30, I go and I jump in the truck and I do what every dad would do. I check find friends. And so I check find friends and sure enough, she's been captured. She is in the middle of a field about a mile and a half from the hairdresser. And I tell you this because I knew this area. And you know how sometimes they can update it, but there's really a building there, and, but it's not been updated on the satellite photo? Let me tell you, where this was, was a field, and my daughter had been captured from the hairdresser salon, and she was in the middle of a field, and I had to get there. So I go, and I jump in my little truck, and I punch the floor, you know, and I'm hitting the top of every hill, because that's how fast I'm going, just hitting the top of every hill. And as I'm getting to the, to the field, my phone rings, and it's Alex, and I think, thank God, she's able to make a phone call. And so I hit answer on speaker, because I'm driving so fast, I need both hands on the wheel. And she goes, hey, Dad, I just want you to know that I'm running it a little late. It's just taking a little longer than what we thought. Now, at the, I will tell you, I'm extremely relieved because I'm like thankful that she's living, right? And so I'm like, okay, well, that sounds good, but baby, I, I said, are you sure? And she goes, yeah. She goes, I saw you texted, but I, my hands were down and I couldn't hold my phone because Sissy won't let me do anything because she's blowing out my hair. And whenever you called, she had the blow dryer going, and so I couldn't have heard you call anyway. So I said, okay, baby, well, look, just be safe and call me before you leave there. It's getting late. So by this time, I'm already, you know, a half a mile from the hairdresser salon. So I do what every dad would do. I drive right over to the hairdresser's line. Would you believe my daughter was right where she said she was? <laughs> and sometimes these things have glitches. Uh, they do. But anyway, uh, they didn't have fine friends. And so what ends up happening is the, the wife comes and Peter says to her, tell me whether or not your husband sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, yes, that was the price. And Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to put the spirit of the Lord to the test? Look, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down dead. And then it says, and great fear seized the whole church, church, because all who heard of these things and all who heard of these things. You see, we haven't had this in about a year. Y'all remember when we used to pass the buckets around? Every first Sunday of the month, we would take up our offering, an online community. You don't know it because we haven't done it yet at all with y'all. Every first Sunday of the month, we would, we would pass the offering plates, and then we would pass them again. And that offering that was put in there the second time was for the needy among us. And so as I was preaching this and I was looking at what it was to really be the church, I called, or I was with Mike and Al, and Mike and Al were like, hey, we need to start doing that again. I like it. And they said, get with David Bromley. And so I got with David Bromley. And so when y'all walk out those doors, Fellowship Center, when you walk out your doors, everybody, when you 
when you want to give to the needy among us, there's these red buckets going to be out here on the first Sunday of every month. So we can start doing that again as a church. And if you are online and you give online, you can go to the app. And Bromley told me this, and I want you to know I'm terrible at apps. But when he told me, I said, I'm going to try it just to make sure. So I did it yesterday. And there is a place where it says, and you're giving, and you can scroll through. And it actually says, WFR First Sunday. That's what it means. That's what it means for our online community to become part of our community. For us to all be able to be called our forever family. So, in closing, I would just say this. Remember that he kept back some? And I said, remember Joshua? I said, remember that word? If you go over to Joshua 7, 1. Joshua 7, 1. There's this story about this man named Achan. And in, in Joshua 6, there's, there's Jericho. And the Israelites, you know what the Israelites did? The Israelites were able to leave, leave the desert, to leave Israel, not Israel, to leave Egypt and go to the promised land. And when they got to the promised land, there was all these people living in it. So they had to conquer those people. But God did the conquering there. And what God did in the conquering is God, God is the one who circled Jericho with his people. And then finally, after seven days, they yelled and the walls fell and they went and they, they captured everything in Jericho. And God said, don't take any of it. Don't take the gold. Don't take the silver. Don't take the oxen. All of that's mine. You can have it the next time, but this time it's mine. And this Achan guy, do you know what he did? He took some silver and some gold for himself. And the next time they went to capture a city, Ai, you can read about it. It's all there in verse 7 seven of Joshua. They were like, oh, don't send the whole army. Just send two or 3,000. This is a no-brainer. And 3,000 Israelites got pummeled by a much lesser army, and 36 of them died because of this sin. And this is what it says. It said, but the Israelites broke faith in regard to the devoted things. Achan, and it says, son of um, Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the Israelites. And then it will go on, and it will talk about in Joshua how until he repented, until he, after he confessed, he was stoned and killed. And not just him, but his whole family. And then the blessing of the Lord. That's when the blessing of the Lord returned. Boom. You see, they were at the very beginning of the church. Y'all, online family. We are at the beginning of the church. I wish that y'all could have heard Mike and Al talking about it. Because Mike and Al, when they were up there hosting the online community this morning, I snuck in there and I listened to their message. And Mike and Al were talking about how the church, our church, the church, it's changing. And the reason it's changing, mm, it's changing because we're moving into a new time. A plague has come. I'm not making this stuff up. I don't know if you've heard about the pandemic or not. And this church was forced to go online. It says the Israelites had turned their back on God. Ananias and Sapphira, they contrived together to turn their back on God. Ah, that little girl who got her hair done, when she was five years old, 
I read her the same story over and over. I got to read stories to Ruth and Abby. And I was reading Samson and Delilah in a children's Bible. And after the 1,000th time of reading it, Alex stopped me in the middle of it. And she said, it said, the Israelites turned their back on God, so a prophet was sent. And Alex stopped me at the very beginning. And she goes, Daddy, what does it mean to turn your back? And so there was a door right over there. And and I said to her, I said, baby, do you see that door? Kind of like that door right back there. You see the window, how it's about that tall? I said, baby, I want you to walk to that door. And no matter what I say to you, I want you to keep walking. And I will get up and I'll go and I'll touch your shoulder. And when I touch your shoulder, you can turn around. And I said, can you do that for me? Instead of me trying to explain what it is to a four-year-old to turn your back, right? How are you going to explain that to a four-year-old? And she goes, yeah, I can do that, Daddy. So I said, on your mark. And she hops out of my lap. Get set. Go. So she starts walking over to that door. And I said, Alex, stop. She slows her stride down. I said, Alex, baby, don't go. Don't turn. Don't turn your back on me. Turn around. Come back to me. And she keeps walking. And she gets to that door. And this is where I'm going to lay it on thick. She gets to that door and she looks out. And I said, Alex, I love you. When I said that, she turned around. She comes running. And I said, baby, that was so good. I'm so glad you came. I said, but you're not quite there. I said, I want, I want you to know what it really feels like to turn your back on God. So I, let's do it again. And I want you to go to the window. But this time, don't come back to me. Don't turn around. You don't turn around. I'm going to come to you. And when I touch you on the shoulder, that's when you can turn around. I said, do you understand? She goes, yeah. I said, do you want, can you do that? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. On your mark. Get set. Go. So she goes, and I lay it on thick this time because she already knows the drill, right? Alex, don't go. Alex, baby, please don't go. Alex, don't walk away from me. Alex, don't walk away from your dad. Alex, I love you. Alex, there's nothing I won't do for you. Alex, please turn around. She gets to that window, and I start walking over towards her. Alex, baby, turn around. Your daddy loves you. I'm always just one step away. All you have to do is turn around, and I'll be there. Alex, turn around. And she won't turn around because she'd been taught not to. And I touch her on her shoulder. And she turns around. And when she does, she has the biggest crocodile tears that daddy's ever seen. (laughs) And so I pick her up in my arms. I'm crying and she's crying. And she goes, Daddy, I don't like this game. (laughs) (sighs) I said, neither do I. Y'all, I want to be part of the church. I want to be part of the forever family in this room and that room and on that line. And if you want to be part of that and you need to turn around, if you've been holding on too tight to your money or if you've been holding on too tight to your time or if you've been holding on too tight to a bottle or something else, a woman, a man, and you need to say, God, I'm sorry. We're going to have people up here that you can come and and pray with. And if you're online and you need to do that, man, Mike and Al are there and you you can type it and they will respond to you. And if they don't respond to you immediately, we will have somebody online come and and respond to you this week. Same thing over there in that fellowship center. I don't know what God is calling to each of us, but I know that God is calling. And the cool thing about God is all you have to do is turn around. He is right there. Pray with me. God, we come before you and we give you thanks because you're God and we're not. We mess it up so often. And when we mess it up, Lord, we need your help to get back right. And so, Lord, I just pray that we would turn around to you this morning. I pray that we would, we would give to you so that the needy would be taken care of. 
Lord, we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.
Wow. That boy's got some skills uh, we didn't know about, right? Uh, man, Clay, what a great job. Uh, I've gotten quite the education, Mike, because I was able to read the comments because I don't normally watch it on Facebook. So, man, what encouraging words so many of you have said about Clay's sermon, how it's impacted your heart, the things you said to one another. I saw Chelsea Black. Uh, coming in there, Chelsea. Hey, it's you know I was thinking about you coming in this morning. I was praying about today because to think about that initial email that you sent me uh, almost a year ago, and to see what God has done in your life now and as part of our forever family. That's what this is really all about. I want to give a shout out to man Rod Mamudian. Found out you're watching today, Ron. You are the Energizer Bunny. Amen. Because you just keep fighting the fight, and so I just want you to know I love you. We're praying for you. We're praying for that surgery you had this last week. Uh, in the words of Cocho, go Tigers. So we're glad uh, that you're tuning in and watching today. I also wanted to mention um, Bill Angeli uh, sent us a note, and I hope Bill repented today. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what you did, Bill, but you did something, I'm sure, that you need to repent of. It's always good to have Bill watching. And I just love you guys and so appreciative of what we heard this morning, how it challenged our hearts. Yeah, Al, and just like the invitation there that Clay offered, you know, to you guys in live stream, we love you. And you're part of our forever family. If you have needs, uh, uh, needs to study the Bible more, need to uh, be baptized, need for prayer requests, something specific, particular, you can send it to us. Uh, you can uh, send those to info at wfrchurch.org, and we'll take care and we'll honor those and we'll pray over you guys. And, and I want, we're going to have Al here in just a second say a prayer. Uh, for our live stream folks, and please know you are loved and you are valuable to the kingdom. And we appreciate you guys checking out everything we're offering in and, terms of uh, classes uh, and groups. And, you know, we're trying to put a lot of stuff out there so we can help your spiritual life grow. So we would uh, encourage you to keep checking that out, wfrchurch.org or our app. Uh, and all the things that we have. I do want to mention as we go into our prayer time, I heard about a little girl named Sophia Grace that had heart surgery this past week. And uh, so we want to have a special prayer for her. Be sure and remember her this week uh, as you're praying that uh, God will heal her body completely. So let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you so much for the opportunity uh, to have uh, the place we have and the people we have. Um, You know, we've been at this location now for over 60 years but your word and your gospel have been going out far beyond just the West Monroe community in northeast Louisiana. Uh, there's always been a heart here for people to understand the gospel, for people to understand the saving grace that you've offered. And I thank you, even though this has been a terrible year in 2020 for so many reasons, but you blessed us with the opportunity to open up our message to more people being able to hear it and be impacted by it, and then to be able to share it with other people. And so we thank you for that. We praise your name for that. I pray for all those out there who are who are sick, who all those out there are battling cancer, and there's so many from our own number here, and I know some more online are as well. Bless them, Father, in their struggle. I pray for healing because we want people to have as as long as possible on this earth, uh, but we trust you at the same time. And as Clay said so beautifully this morning, even if something gets us, and it will, it'll get us all, we're just passing from this life to the next. And so we understand that. And so we don't grieve like the rest of people who have no hope. So I pray for all those in the struggle and the battle. For little Sophia, Father, I pray a special prayer for her being so young and going through so many things. And so I just pray, Father, that she'll be healed completely and that she'll be able to live a long, healthy, productive life in you. Father, be with us as a church. Be with all those out there who are just going through day-to-day struggles. Help us to be more like you every single day. And we want to have the heart of Barnabas. We want to be an encouragement to other people. We want to lay everything we have at your feet to use as you would use. 
We praise you. We give you glory. We do it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Once again, I want to thank you for being a part of our church family and uh, tuning in today. It's just been so good to be together. I love that. I think Clay is a Barnabas. He is. Uh, he, he does give us the, that encouragement. And so we want to give you a blessing, too. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. And we pray you have a great, great week serving God. Have a great week. We'll see you right here next week. God bless. Jesus, there's nothing impossible for you.